going? Um, I'm not as neat as the other two. I needed lots of things. So um, apparently this is the, the setup I'm going with because why have one piece of paper when you can have many? Um, it's good to see everybody here today and some people maybe I haven't seen before, which is cool too. Um, but let's start off with a, with a prayer and get into it. Father God, I think the last few years have taught us how special getting together as a group is. Help us to appreciate this moment this morning. Help us to open our hearts to your word, to the wisdom we can find in it, and, and to each other. Help us to really be a community this morning and get together in praise of you. Amen. Hello. Sorry, I'm going to have some assistance as well. Um, so for anyone who doesn't know me either at home or hasn't chatted to me, my name's Liz. And I'm the Emerging Generations um, I come with assistance, Emerging <laughs> Generations worker here. Um, and we've done a bit of a youth takeover in January. So it's all, all the young people of the church who are going to be speaking in January, who are choosing the music, who are doing all of that kind of stuff. And uh, we decided to do a sermon series on big changes. So we had lovely Josh last week chatting about Simon Peter and um, the changes that happened to him becoming, you know, the foundation of the church and everything that happened there. And today... Um, we decided to talk about Abraham and Sarah um, because they're another pair who went through a really significant change as a result of God. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read the reading and uh, then we can have a little bit of a chat about it. <laughs> so it comes from uh, Genesis 17, 1 to 8, and then skipping a little bit and then 15 to 19. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk with me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. No Pokemon, thank you. Abraham fell, Abraham fell face down and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you the father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give you as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you and I will be their God, which is a promise and a half, just quietly. God also said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you will no longer to call her Sarai, you will, she will be Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. King of peoples will come from her. Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? And Abraham said to God, If only Ishmael might live under your blessing, which we're going to get into later if you don't know who that is. Then God said, Yes, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son, and you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. So we're talking about promises. That's probably a biggie. <laughs> I mean, what do you say to that other than laugh, apparently? Um, but their story is a really, really interesting one. And so rather than do a sermon today, what really strikes me about the Bible every time I read it almost is that this isn't a self-help book. This isn't a do all these things. It's a book of stories. And so today I thought we'll just talk about this story, the story of this couple, because God obviously sees so much value in people and in their stories. 
So let's actually look at this as a story. Okay. That's cool with everyone. Um, too bad I've got the microphone. Um, <laughs> so today I actually decided, um, took the executive decision that I decided not to talk about Abraham today. Today I just want to talk about Sarah. I think she's such an important figure in the Bible and I think she has such an individual journey with God that's, that's completely separate from Abraham's and completely valuable as well as Abraham's. We have so much information about Abraham. We talk about him all the time. We talk about the battles that he fought, how he defended Sodom. We talk about his relationship with Lot. We talk about, you know, the sacrifice of his son Isaac, all this kind of stuff. We talk about him all the time. So let's move away from him for a second and talk to talk about the woman involved in all of this. The woman who, yeah, you wonder why I talked about children today and motherhood. Oh, dear. Um, the reason I particularly want to talk to Sarah from the context of the promises of God as well is because Abraham actually had a ton of children. Um, he had one with uh, Hagar, who we're going to talk about in a little bit, and he actually had a wife after Sarah as well that he had a ton of children with too. But it's actually through Sarah that the promise comes. So this is why we need to talk to her because as much as Abraham is the father of the nations and the promises that God gave, Sarah's very much the mother and she's the only mother. He had children with three different women and she's the one that it comes through. So let's talk a little bit about her and what she's like. So um, Sarai, first up, beautiful woman. It says it many, many times in the Bible. Bible doesn't usually take the time to talk about how attractive someone is, but it does a fair bit when it's talking about Sarah. She's a very beautiful woman. And the name Sarai, which is what she has at the beginning of the story, a lot of scholars actually think that that's a sign that she had a lot of spiritual gifts as well. So she's this spiritually gifted woman who Abraham really considers his equal in a lot of ways in their marriage, but also incredibly beautiful. So she's a bit of a catch, just quietly. She's pretty great. Um, <clears throat> but alongside that, she's someone who's denied her role as wife over and over again in their story. Even though she's beautiful, even though she's spiritually great and she's all of these wonderful things, She's denied this role of wife over and over again. I think that's worth uh, bearing in mind. All right, so we're going to have a little bit of a chat about what Abraham and Sarah's life was kind of like because I think, you know, it's, it's really different to what we have now and it's worth bearing in mind. Um, they lived in this land. They were pretty rich. We'll start off with that. These, are, these aren't a poor couple that we see in the Bible. Um, they're actually quite well off. They had a lot of land. Abraham had a huge army. They were defending themselves pretty often against Canaanites and things like that. So they were pretty well off, pretty big deal in the land that they lived in. Um, and pretty early on in the story, we see that Abraham is given this promise by God, this insane, huge promise that not only are you going to be well off and you're going to have kids, which is great, but you're actually going to be the father of like nations, which is enormous, right? How much pressure is that as a parent? <laughs> You're going to be the father of, of everything. When in very, very early days of their story, there was a famine, as there often is in the Bible. I don't know if you've noticed. It's a pretty common thing that happens, usually due to drought, things like that. There's a famine. And so they actually had to flee their home and everything they'd built and escape to Egypt. Egypt, I'm assuming because of the Nile, it's a bit more fertile and there often is a little bit of food and things like that happening. But when they reach Egypt, they're kind of hit with a problem. And it's only really when you dig into the kind of the scholarship around this that you realise that this was a thing. When foreigners would come into the land at the time, it was quite common 
if a man had an attractive wife for the people to kill him so they could take the wife, right, which is traumatising as anything and horrific. Um, and so Abraham, as he's going into Egypt, he's terrified that this is going to happen to him. He's like, you are ridiculously beautiful. I am so scared that they're going to kill me and take you. So he devised this plan and his plan was, okay, here's what we're going to do. Technically, we're kind of siblings, right? So I'm going to tell everyone that you're my sister so that if someone tries to take you, uh, they'll, they'll sort of buy you off me rather than killing me, right? Which sounds a little bit cowardly, but the reality is how are you going to get it back if you're dead? You know what I mean? So it made a lot of sense at the time that that's what maybe they would do. Um, so they get into Egypt and, of course, exactly that scenario happens. Someone notices she's really, really attractive and they're like, cool, let's kill him. Um, he says, no, 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 she's my sister. She's my sister. It's fine. <laughs> so they pay him and they actually take her to the king's harem, right, which is not a good place to be. Pretty horrific kind of time for her. They don't go into a lot of detail, but I'll leave that for your imaginations, what kind of happened there. In the meantime, while she's stuck there, Abraham is essentially collecting as much influence as he can in Egypt to try and get her back, right? And he does. He manages with the riches that he got from what they gave him for her. He manages to build up enough influence that he's actually able to get to the king and actually have these kind of conversations. And while this whole thing's happening and all of this suffering is happening, God's watching this. He's like, hang on, I'm not, I'm not okay with this. <laughs> this, is not, this was not the plan. So he actually starts cursing the pharaoh. We know what pharaoh curses look like. I feel like, you know, we get a general idea of what, what that is in the Bible a few times. And eventually the pharaoh's like, why am I being cursed? Like, what is going on? <laughs> what have I done? And Abraham's like, sorry, that, that actually is, is my wife, right? Pharaoh, horrified goes, take her, get out of Egypt. I don't want to see you. <laughs> so he finally gets his wife back. She finally gets to be Abraham's wife again, right? And they, and they leave. <clears throat> and it's not exactly clear when this happens, but next they go to the, the Philistine city of Gerar and say again, there's this thing where if they see a beautiful woman, they'll kill the man and they'll take her. And this actually happens again, a second time. They, someone comes and goes, really attractive, let's kill him, Right? <laughs> And so he's like, sorry, <laughs> sister, sister again, sister. So she gets taken again to the king and, um, and Abraham spared, right? So this is the second time she's had to say she's not his wife in order to save his life, which is horrific, right? <laughs> not something you want. Once again, um, God actually talks to the king and says, hey, I should kill you for being with another man's wife. And he's like, it's his sister. Once again, Abraham has to sit, stand forward and go, no, 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 she's my wife, and he gets back with her again. So this is two times she's been denied that she's Abraham's wife, right? And we're looking at this in the context of this covenant, this promise that God has made to this, this couple, which is that you will be the father of nations. But notice he doesn't say that she will be the mother yet, right? This is very early on. She doesn't know any of this. So over and over again, not only is she not getting to be his wife, she's not getting the social status of being his wife, she's not getting to have children, she's not getting to have any of these things, but as far as she could know, she's left out of that covenant as well, right? So there's this woman who is over and over again denied this role of wife, denied this role of mother, even though that's what the promise is, right? They get back to their land finally, which, you know, worst trip ever, just quietly, um, and Sarah comes up with a plan, okay? This plan is incredibly faith-driven, in my opinion. 
a lot of people argue backwards and forwards and whatever, but I think this is the plan of someone who's really, really desperate, right? She's 19. They say a number of times she's past childbearing age. She's not going to give Abraham a child, which is what God has said will happen. So she sits there and she goes, all right, this is what I'm going to do. She gives to Abraham her, like one of her servants, essentially, Hagar, who was Egyptian, and she says, take her. You might be able to get a, a son of her because obviously this isn't happening for me. And I think what's so interesting about this is how incredibly heartbreaking, again, that scenario is. This is the third time now she's been denied that role of wife and that role of mother of his children. Because if Hagar becomes pregnant, that means a couple of things. One, it means that her standing in the household, not so good anymore, right? And two, it means that she wasn't a part of the covenant. She wasn't a part of the promise. She wasn't a part of this relationship with God, right? So it is a heartbreaking decision, but she does it anyway. And, of course, Hagar does become pregnant pretty quickly. And we see probably one of the less great versions of Sarah, which is where she starts to mistreat the servant. But I think you can kind of understand, if not condone, that if you've gotten to that point and I said three times you've been denied this, how much shame and anger would be inside you towards this woman who just does it easily, right, who steps into this role easily and takes your role not only with your husband, not only in terms of social standing, but also in terms of God, right? So we've got this heartbreaking situation happening here. She's humiliated. She's in pain. And then God actually comes to visit them. This doesn't happen so much New Testament. This is a very Old Testament thing. God just rocks up and he kind of visits them. And they display hospitality. But this whole time, Sarah's not actually there. She's, um, she's gone off making bread kind of in the shed away from everybody. And, I mean, I don't want to psychoanalyze a character who's very, very old, but I can kind of imagine the level of shame that would be involved in hiding yourself away in a room to make bread rather than meeting God and meeting your guests generally. This is the time where she's renouncing her title now. She's not playing the role of hospitality of wife. She's hiding somewhere else. When God comes, he reinforces the promise. And he says, within a year, Sarah's going to have this baby, right? And she laughs, as she would. <laughs> you know, you're, you're, you're postmenopausal. Why would you have a baby? It's funny. And in a very bitter way, it's funny, right? And that's what you hear from her, I think. I think you hear that bitterness, you hear that sadness. And even though she's not with them, God hears that laugh and he actually finds her and confronts her about it. And he says, you laughed as though there's a limit to my path. Like you laughed about that. And her shame is so intense that her only reaction to that can be, no, I didn't. <laughs> like he's God, he knows. You know what I mean? And I think this is where we see such an interesting interaction between God and humanity because God He's kind. He's not going to be angry with her, but he is firm. And all he says is, yeah, you did. Right? What an interesting interaction. He's not angry. He's not punishing her, but he's not allowing her to deny the truth of the situation. And I think that's such an interesting thing with God because often we associate, I think, kindness with, oh, well, we'll just let her lie, right? 
savor the embarrassment, savor whatever, that's kind, right? But he's just saying, no, 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 no. I'm not, I'm not going to let you, I'm not going to let you undermine our relationship and the honesty of our relationship. So it's a really interesting little interaction. Then a year later, she's got Isaac, right? Who means laugh and everything's happy, you know? Ish, as much as you can be. And she's actually managed to fulfill this covenant. She's managed to be who God wanted her to be, right? When she stepped away from her shame. Through the process of this change, this incredible change from, you know, a rich couple who's a little bit on the older side of things. It's not really clear exactly how old they are, but um, who's sort of on the older side of things, who have an estate, who are doing pretty well for themselves. Like, you know, they're not, they're not struggling by any means, but they're not procreating either. To the mother and father of nations, that's an enormous change. And it's a change that happens late in life. This isn't, you know, the hit 20, God's like, let's do it. <laughs> you know, this happens far, far later in their life. And the one thing that changes alongside this huge change is their names. And it's only one letter. <laughs> it's one letter. Like, this isn't Simon to Peter. This is one letter that changes. And that is Abram goes to Abraham and Sarah, Sarai goes to Sarah. There's a H added in both of them, right? And when I first was looking to this, I was like, why though? <laughs> like it's one letter, does it really matter? Um, but then when I looked into it a little bit, a little bit more, a little bit more deeply, and if anyone's ever done any kind of vocal training or speech pathology or anything like that, the sound H or it's not actually made by your vocal cords, it's air rushing through it. So it's breath, H is breath, right? And in that change, God is breathing in his life into both of these characters. He's added the breath of God into their names, which is pretty beautiful, if, if you ask me. Um, also, Sarai to Sarah has some interesting implications as well. So when she's Sarai, there's a few different translations um, floating around, but one that I think rings with a sense of truth is that um, Sarai in that context actually meant mother, which... How rude. <laughs> you know what I mean? If you're struggling with infertility and your name means mother, like that's horrible, honestly, to try and to try and work with. But when she becomes Sarah, it does mean mother as well. It's got the same background in terms of the name. But what it actually means when it's Sarah is mother of a ruler of nations. She got an upgrade. <laughs> like she became a mother when she wasn't one, that's who she was. And then she became not just a mother, but the mother of a ruler of nations. And we know if anyone sort of has any biblical literacy around what happens from there, you know that that's what happens, right? So we see that these very minuscule little changes, just one letter makes a huge difference to her life, a huge difference. And it's because it's the breath of God, right? So coming to the end of that story, because I love stories, so for me, I could have just come and tell the story because I think it's interesting. <laughs> I think she's an interesting, interesting person. But when we come to hearing about Sarah's story, it's a story that's actually echoed many, many times in the Bible. There's a lot of women who become mothers later in life in the Bible, who find their calling later in life in the Bible and find who they're meant to be later. <laughs> when they basically have given up hope, right? We've got Elizabeth in the New Testament. We've got Hannah. We've got all these people who are blessed when they didn't expect it. 
But looking at Sarah specifically and her huge change and what happens there, I think what we really come back to is looking at who she was and who she becomes and how. Sarah was someone who by the time they got back to their home had been denied three times being a wife. She was beaten. She was done. You know what I mean? Her sense of failure, the sense that she wasn't enough, the sense that she wasn't able to do the thing that God had asked her to do, not, let alone the fact that society expected women to do that as well, the sense of shame and failure that was in this woman at that time, you can feel it, you know? You can feel it through the language of the Bible. You can feel it so many years later. And I think a lot of us know that feeling, that feeling of I am not enough. I, I don't have this, you know? She was so worried about who she wasn't and her sense of failure that she wasn't focusing on who she could be and who she could be with God's help. In order for her change to occur, God literally breathes his breath into her and changes her. And as a result, she has to trust him in return. That interaction where he comes and talks to her when she is hiding, it seems like this throwaway thing when you read the whole story, but it's not. He comes and finds her and talks to her and has her confront the reality that the person who doesn't believe that this can happen is her. It's not him. And so when we're having, when we're looking at Sarah, this beautiful, beautiful woman, this sad woman, this woman who is so full of shame, and we start to see ourselves in her, because everyone has something they're a little bit ashamed of. There's a part of themselves that's not, we're not super thrilled by. I think what we have to take away from this is that we can't let our conviction and our image of ourselves as failures, the image of who we think we are, get in the way of who God can help us to be. So I sort of encourage everybody, if there's, if there's a, a part of you, I, mean, I don't know, maybe this doesn't resonate with you, cool. Maybe it will with some and not with others, and that's fine. Um, but if there's a part of you that feels like you're not becoming into the person God wants you to be because you're so busy holding on to these failures and these things that you're so convinced that you're not, I think, I think she's a good person to look at. I think it's good to spend some time with her story. And I think we see that, honestly, with all of the people in the big changes. There's a lot of people who don't think they can be the people God wants them to be. So I think as we continue this series, I hope we all kind of experience a little bit of a moment of, of becoming and of growth and of really wondering who is it that God sees that I can be rather than who I think I can be and my limitations and who I think I can be because of where I am now as opposed to where God can take me with his breath, if that makes sense. I'd like to finish up with prayer, if that's all right. And, uh, yeah, I hope, I, hope, I hope this woman whose story was so important that amongst all these stories of men she was mentioned um, resonates with you a little bit because I think she's such an important person and she had so much pain and came out of it so well. Father God, as, as we study these people who've had enormous changes, um, Help us to learn from them. You, you obviously thought their stories were so important, important enough that we needed to share them so many years later. And I think Sarah is no different. And I hope 
that her story resonates with us today, that we can see past any visions of ourselves that are holding us back, that are blocking us from stepping into who you want us to be. Let us see who we can be with this breath that you give us and help us to really let that breath in, in our lives. Uh, in Jesus' name.